from around the world, it is time for a new episode of Real True Facts. I'm Jessica Lang. And I am Randall Quaid. Randall Quaid, hello. Hello. I'm really pretty excited this week. Uh, not only do we have some cool uh, news that's been uh, buzzing the headlines to discuss before we get into our main topic, but our main topic is something I don't know a lot about, so that always excites me. Me too. Um, for our listeners today, we are going to the land of, I believe, Annie Lennox, bagpipes, and golf. And we're going to talk about uh, that little lady from the Scottish Highlands, Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster. Right. Um, yeah, I've only heard rumors. So it, it'll be great to have um, an expert with us here to, to kind of go over the details and what she actually looks like and does. Uh, because Yeah, I, I'm excited. I, I have no idea what kind of monster this is. So hopefully we'll be able to learn all about her today. Right. And uh, I believe uh, Dr. Seymour is on one of his expeditions this week. So uh, he may or may not uh, be with us. But um, before we get started uh, talking about the Loch Ness Monster, uh, the current events, a lot of stuff's going on out in space. Am I right? Yes, we have a few uh, current events that uh, are happening uh, in our skies and in our uh, various galaxies. Uh, So we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about a few of those things today. Uh, The first thing that happened um, a a couple days ago from the time of this recording um, was uh, over Sendai, Japan, hopefully I'm saying that right, there was a strange balloon-like UFO that appeared in the sky, and uh, people reported it looking like a large white unmanned balloon attached to two propellers. Right, right. And I I mean, and Japan was, um, they were, you know, the government was immediate to say that's not one of ours. Right? Of and, course, it's the first thing they say. Right, and it's it's Japan, so they're very protective over there. They don't let just anything uh, in. So it's pretty obvious that it didn't just come in from one of the borders, that it came in from uh, above. Yeah, yeah, and it was, it was largely motionless, is what the report says, that it lingered in the sky, and then um, it floated for several hours before drifting over the... Pacific Ocean. And I think that's the most interesting part about it is because even though it looked like a balloon, a, a balloon would continue to go up. You know, they, they float up. They don't really just stay still. Right. Um, this, and then yeah, this as, balloon had motives. It, it had right. a sense of direction. It was yeah. out to accomplish things. It had, you know, places to go. Yeah, and uh, I think they even tried to pop it. I think they tried to get close enough to pop it or something, but uh, they were unable to do that, and then it drifted out over the Pacific Ocean. So we don't really know what it was for. Uh, Yes, it is technically a UFO. Um, No one is taking responsibility for it. Um, I think if it was something big like that, if it was someone's, they would probably come forward and say, oh, yeah, this was mine. I'm, I'm missing my propeller balloon but they didn't so it's a big possibility that it could be uh alien sure yeah in today's society everyone wants to have their their claim to fame their five minutes of fame so I, you know i'm surprised someone hasn't said hey that's my weather balloon yeah, um, uh, yeah exactly so it, it's just one more one more piece of the puzzle um and speaking of this larger puzzle when it comes to ufos and outer space 
Um, there's been a lot of news lately uh, about uh, the sounds and frequencies coming from, you know, outer space, space and SETI. And uh, scientists are finally, you know, getting on this and uh, come up with a number of uh, around 36. Is that correct? 36. There yeah, may be 36, 36. or more uh, civilizations. Um, and this is just in the Milky Way. Yeah. Well, they're saying intelligent alien civilizations. Sure. Uh, there could be up to 36 of them in our galaxy, uh, in the Milky Way. Uh, and they're saying that those numbers are actually pretty conservative. There might be uh, even more than that. Um you know, because we know it would be bizarre if we were the only planet out there, if there was no other intelligent life. Um, and, uh, you know, by by looking for these these extraterrestrial life forms, they say that we are discovering our own future and fate if we're able to do that, because we can ensure the uh, longevity of our species if we know that there's other civilizations out there. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, as we know from some of our previous episodes, there's really no, there's no, um, we, there's no uncertainty when it comes to are there, it's just how many and when and where we already know there are aliens out there and even in here among us. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's just, um, now we're kind of waiting on, all right, when is the government going to fess up? Uh, when are scientists going to fess up? Um, and when is this going to be more exposed and, you know, how many different civilizations and and kinds of aliens are there? Well, and all these things are so connected to me. It's like minimum 36. It's like, that's such a specific number. They didn't round down. They didn't round up like minimum 36, uh, different ancient uh, I'm sorry, intelligent, uh, maybe ancient too, alien civilizations in the galaxy. Um, and this is coming on the coattails of there being more and more UFO sightings on Earth. And so it's either knowledge that we've always had that's starting to come out or these uh, civilizations or, or even aliens coming down. We know they exist. We know they're giving us information that uh, we're getting more and more of this information. Now this could be leading up to intelligent uh communication sure yeah we're working on that currently on earth you can kind of tell we're mm-hmm. we're uh, using our we're kind of like you know we're primates monkeys kind of rattling yeah. our, our the bones and sticks around and with our yeah. radio waves um and then behind closed doors additional communications experiments yeah. are being uh, worked on right um well but- as you know i i'm so ready to make contact so Right. It's it's time. And so uh, that's just one more thing uh, we do here at Real True Facts is, uh, you know, not only let people know about the truth, but uh, try and nudge forward uh, the, the progress of humanity. You know, maybe we can help that contact happen a little bit sooner. Yeah. Uh, speaking of progress with uh, humanity, there are things happening on uh, our planet and our country of the United States. Um that has to do with topics that we've covered on previous shows. We talked about the Mothman in a previous episode. Uh, West Virginia is in the headlines for something good. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, cryptids, a lot of cryptozoology in West Virginia, um, and that is where the Mothman is from. Uh, this headline is that uh, West Virginians are campaigning to replace Confederate statues with Mothman. And so, um, you, know, you know, a lot of Confederate statues, uh, fortunately, are being taken down, but there really isn't anything to replace them with. And so um, 
those monuments aren't celebrating history. There is a petition in West Virginia to uh, replace those statues with Mothman, which I think is fantastic. Um, right. I mean, we, yeah, we know that those, we know those statues need to go, but the question is, what do we, you know, what do we put up? So I think that's, uh, and Mothman is a great answer to that question. Yeah. Mothman brings a lot of people together. Um He's got a, uh, you know, psychic abilities that give people premonitions. I think there is a lot that we don't understand still about the motives behind Mothman. But in West Virginian communities, uh, they are bonded by the knowledge that Mothman exists. And um, there was a quote from the article that says, uh, we have certain stories, oddities, and bizarre pockets of the same state that are unique to our region, and we find a sense of comfort in sharing these things together. And so I think um, by adding more statues of Mothman, because they already have one, but they want some more, that being able to do that, they can uh, bond their community more and have it come together as as something really positive. And even um, in the article, they do say that the Mothman is kind of a, a gay icon as well. Oh, really? Uh, as you know, yeah. I'm a bit averse to, to words and articles. I saw some of the mm-hmm. pictures, but I wasn't aware of uh, the Mothman being um, uh, an icon for the, the pride community or the gay community or the LGBTQ+. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah they, they've adopted it. It's sort of like how, how they adopted the Babadook <laughs> as, as sort of a, a gay icon in pop culture. Uh, obviously, we know the Mothman exists, so it's not really pop culture, but uh, that he's sort of become an icon for uh, misunderstood people. Okay, or, okay, uh, sure. You know. That makes sense. And I, yeah, yeah. And it's also, um, I mean, hopefully we'll see more of this going around going around throughout the country when it comes to, you know, using, uh, taking down old icons that uh, maybe represent oppression and mm-hmm. bringing up new icons that bring us together, like the Mothman or Bigfoot. And may, who knows, maybe after this episode, we could recommend a, a, a Loch Ness monster or, you know, a Nessie a, sure. a statue or monument. I'm, I'm hoping, but I, you know, we never assume she could be a stone cold killer, but uh, yeah, that's we why know. we're, yeah, that's why we're here today. Yeah, but uh, I thought that was cool. So I, I thought that was something that would be uh, nice to report coming from our own uh, country in West Virginia. Because as you know, that's where I'm from. So I always like to see my home state uh, reflected positively in the news. So uh, I think that's it for our headlines today. And uh, really cool stuff in the news. So I'm excited to see how some of these things or all of these things unfold. Yeah, I, I agree. So um, uh, we have a really interesting guest today, as as we mentioned uh um, uh, Professor Ian Shane uh, from across the pond, as they say. So why don't we take a quick break and uh, come right back and get into it? How does that sound? That sounds great. We'll be right back. talking today about the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, with us today from the Oxford Community College, he is a professor of United Kingdom mythology and the world's foremost expert on Loch Ness is Professor Ian McShane. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for coming. I, I believe I may have, uh, yeah. one of our producers was telling me in the break that I may have misspoken. It's Ian McShane. I may have said Shane, so I apologize. For well, that. well, that is okay. I've learned to deal with it. Uh, I am I am not the most famous Ian McShane working at not the most famous Oxford. 
So it's mm-hmm. sort of a, a running thing. Oh, I see. So maybe I should address the the, the elephant in the room first of all. Um, I'm I don't notice an accent. So what's your you know what's your background? Did you? So I'm guessing you don't live uh, over there. You haven't lived over there your entire life, then. No, actually, I was uh, I, I came here as a, a teenager uh, for my, for parents' work, and I, I kind of stuck around, and uh, I liked it here, and so here I have remained, and uh, the uh, the UK has taken me into her bosom, so to speak, and uh, I'm still here. So uh, carved out a nice little niche uh, career here as professor of uh, UK mythology at, uh, of course, Oxford Community College. Um, so uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, we are very excited uh, to have you here today. We know that you are the absolute expert on Loch Ness. uh, And, uh, you know, we don't know a ton about Nessie. Um, I know that, you know, her sightings go all the way back to the 1800s. And, you know, there's been publications up until the 1930s. Uh, in uh, in Scotland and and in the United States as well, but I guess I just want to see you know before we really get into it, and because we don't have Dr. Seymour here today, uh, I want to ask you from a biology standpoint, what kind of creature is lo- the Loch Ness monster? Because you know we can't really just say monster. Like, is it a dinosaur? Is it a fish? Like, what kind of animal is it? Well, I've got to correct you on on two points, if I may. Uh, the there is an actual monument to the monster, uh, if you want to call it a monster, uh, in Scotland uh, near the Loch. Uh, and contrary to popular belief, uh, Nessie is a boy, not a girl. Oh. Uh, I could go on to explain that to you. I don't know what the age level is for this podcast, but I could tell you why we know she's a boy. If you if you'd like to hear that, we, yeah, I mean we can we can fill in the uh, fill okay. in the blanks there. I okay. mean this is an all ages show. We believe in starting uh, kids young and learning the facts, so we we really don't shy away from uh, sugarcoating anything. You know, it's, yeah, it's the, all the ages, truth so. is appropriate for all ages, and um, so that's yes. that's a great start. Okay, great. Um, Okay, great, because a lot, a lot of people aren't comfortable with this. But the most famous photo of Nessie that you've seen, I'm sure, is this sort of grainy black and white image of the neck and the head of the monster uh, coming up out mm-hmm. of the water. Yeah, sure. Yes. Uh, that is not, in fact, Nessie's head and neck. Mm-hmm. That, is, uh, that, is, uh, that, his, it, that, that is his erect penis uh, coming up through the water. Uh, and it was captured on film. And so a lot of people uh, are not comfortable acknowledging that for all these years, they've been staring at a, uh, at a uh, erect uh, monsters uh, penis uh, uh, in their textbooks and so forth all these years. So, uh, so that's, that is how we know that it is not in fact a, uh, a, a female. So in that respect, it sounds like we have our, our scale maybe a bit, a, a bit skewed, then how how big yeah. is the the Loch Ness monster if that was just the phallus? Well, that that is a great question, and that is something that we've worked at uh, working uh, over the years to come up with an approximate uh, size uh, for the monster uh, based on the measurements of the phallus, of course, uh, and then using that to then proportion out uh, the the rest of the great beast. And so uh, we estimate. Uh, that uh, based on the uh, 
phallus that uh, that the, the 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 creature itself is probably from uh, head to tail uh, under the surface of the water about a half mile long. Wow! So the the a uh, about a fourth of the size of the uh, lock itself. So sure. the lock is a is a pond, a river, uh, a beach. I uh, forgive me. I'm an American. It, it is. It is a it is a, a lake. lake. Uh, so if you think uh, lock lake, yes. Um, and there, uh, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous vista. There's a small ruin of uh, Loch Ness Castle uh, on the banks, and uh, one of the loveliest uh, yarn factories uh, that you will ever visit in the Highlands, uh, very close by, uh, where you can uh, purchase uh, uh, scarves, uh, kilts, knitwear. Uh, based on your respective clans, oh, yeah. uh, and that's Scottish clans. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of ritual there. Very much so. A lot of mis- mysticism uh, surrounding the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the sort of the stereotypical uh, bagpipe uh, music emanating from somewhere, some for you know. yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, and and appropriately enough, as we're uh, recording this episode, it is uh, the summer solstice. Oh. So it is a, a very mystical time, uh, particularly here in Oxford. Uh, the summer solstice is uh, not only the longest day of the year, but it usually means there'll be a, a few goats missing from some farm mm-hmm. tomorrow morning. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Of course. Do you find that during these mystical times, during the year like solstices, um, are Loch Ness sightings more frequent, or does Nessie tend to take the day off during those things? Well, certainly there are more visitors to the lock at uh, times like these. Uh, whether or not you see her, uh, I would say I would not say that it's more frequent uh, because of the, the holiday. Or now, for you there that, visitors. now, you just said her, although we know now that that the creature is male. Are we looking at sort of a a gender neutral thing? Are we looking at uh, like a, a gender fluid sort of creature? No, see that's see that is my own problem because I have uh, I have mixed up my pronouns having been for so long uh, mm-hmm. under the impression that it was a female. Right. Uh, and it's only in the last several years that we've made this discovery, as I said uh, about the erect phallus, and then mm-hmm. our research has proceeded from there. So I'm as guilty of it as anyone. Um, now, now, what what brought you to the conclusion that the pictures we have seen of the monster's head is not the one on is not the one that we think it is like what what brought you to that conclusion well okay so based on on the photo we 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 went in with a healthy skepticism and uh you asked earlier if it's a monster if it's a dinosaur so we went on uh in with the impression that this could be some prehistoric beast, a dinosaur, if you will. And if we look at the uh, shifting of the tectonic plates and the, the former uh, landmass bridges and so forth, it is quite possible that a dinosaur, a prehistoric beast of some kind, could have made its way into Scotland before the UK split off and became an island. Mm-hmm. So working under that assumption, we then made a study of a dinosaur uh, genitalia, mm-hmm. Uh, which is a, a very niche field, if you will. Okay. And uh, based on uh, certain uh, 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 prehistoric paintings, drawings, um, uh, I guess what you would 
I consider to be their uh, form of pornography in the uh, ancient days. Uh, cave, they, cave paintings? Say that again? Cave paintings? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, based on these things, we then went in with the assumption that Perhaps there's something different that we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've run it. Uh, then we brought in a team of uh, anatomists uh, and other biological scientists, and then we came to a consensus that this is uh, this is something different that we're looking at. Yeah. So it's like we we've been holding the book but upside down, and then you turn it. And you're like, oh, okay. Like you know, you're looking at something, but you don't know from what angle. Exactly. Exactly right. So it, yeah. it is. It is comforting to know that it was a scientific consensus and not just, you know, one person saying, hey, you know what? I, I bet that's something else, you know? So that's comforting. Yeah. Oh, no, no person in their right mind would go out into the scientific community and just trample all over years and years of research and say, you know what? That's a penis. Yeah. It never even crossed my mind until this moment. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not been easy. Uh, if I can be honest with you, it's not been easy for me to 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 go around and, uh, you know, sort of dispel a lot of the previous uh, thinking on on this on this monster and say, first of all, no, that's a male. And second of all, you know, to, to sort of be known as, you know, the, the Loch Ness penis guy. Mm-hmm. Have you received a lot of pushback from the scientific community regarding oh. this? Very, very much so. Uh, just within the UK itself, and and um, even even in Scotland, they are very tied to their cultural touchstones. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you may well may as well spit in the face of Sean Connery to then say, "This is a male. This is not nasty. Everything you've you've lived is a lie." And so it's 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 very tough. Yeah, wow. and I, yeah. and of course, I, I don't sound like the the natives, so that makes it even. You know, easier to sort of, you know, be pushed to the yeah, fringe. You're a foreigner, you're sure. an outsider. What do you know? How dare you come in here with your science talk and your books and your research and your facts and tell us what to think? Yeah. Um, I can only, I, I can only imagine. But it's really important uh, that you're finally setting the record straight, and that's what we're, you know, all about here on Real True Facts is setting the record yeah. straight, making sure the public is aware, um, rather than just being another sheep. Uh, off to the mm. um, you know the the winter solstice or summer solstice slaughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah and let me let me also add real quick of what a great service the two of you, Randall and Jessica, are doing uh, with your show uh, because these are these are not comfortable things that for people to talk about. Whether it be Loch Ness, the Mothman, uh, cats as aliens. I've listened mm-hmm. to some of the the, the past episodes. Oh, so so you. you know, pat yourselves on the back. It, it takes a lot of bravery, I think, to do what we do. But even more than that, I think it's it's very brave uh, from our guests' point of view because we d- we have spoken to a lot of various uh, professors and doctors that are now shunned from the communities that they um, do their work in because they are saying these things that are very controversial and maybe not you know, widely accepted. Exactly. But, but exactly right. Yeah. It's the truth nonetheless. So, um, you know, it's, it's very, uh, uh, exciting to be able to talk to someone like you. Well, so thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very so, much. Wow. Now that we have this new kind of foundation of knowledge, um, moving forward, there, there are so many more questions to ask, uh, and, 
I mean, one simple one that I'd like to start with. How how old do we uh, do we believe that the uh, nest? I don't know if I, I should still call if I call it Nessie or a nester or we we. We we say Nestor. Yes, you're exactly right. We say Nestor. Wow, ne- Nestor. Nestor. Okay. Uh, well, mm. how old do we think this? You know, since there have been sightings for a long time. But you know, frankly, I don't know what the lifespan of a dinosaur is. So what? You know, what are we talking about here? Well, we believe that this is still the original beast or dinosaur in the lock. Those of us in the Nestor camp, if you will. And uh, so we're talking about, you know, easily uh, in the neighborhood of 20 million uh, years old. Uh, But there is a belief uh, in Scotland that uh, you've, of course, heard of the the famous Scottish Highlands. That these are instead burial mounds for Nestor's predecessors. And this is only the, the latest iteration in the line that is in the lock. So how are these uh, predecessors getting to the burial grounds? Well, see, I don't, I don't believe that, that that's what they are. But the, again, the beliefs are that, that these are burial mountains, so they've died over the years. Of course, m- long, long before any of us were, were around. And so over time, uh, with elements and uh, the wind and the rain and the mud and all those types of things, sediments have settled over the carcasses of these great beasts and formed the islands. Uh, but again, I, I think you know this is this is too far fetched. These are yeah. these are not burial mounds for some ancient monsters. It could be that there was a body of water there at one point, and over the generations, that lake has dried up, and with it, we have remnants. We have these fossils, uh, so it would appear to be a burial ground, but maybe it was just a, a lake bed that yeah, that, dried that kind up. of uh, reeks uh, of uh, Paul Bunyan's footsteps being the you know, and right. kind of a tall tale. Um, so I, I, yeah. I can see that. So um, we're talking about an, an ancient beast here that's living in a lake. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, not first of all, second of all, or third. Uh, are there any concerns for, I mean, people's safety? It seems like you know there haven't been attacks or anything, but I, you know, it makes you wonder uh, how this uh, coexistence works. It sounds like it's working out, other than the fact that we want more information. But um, is, is there? Maybe some missing sheep. Yeah. Is there well. any sense of danger for humans? Maybe for sheep, I guess. But well, first of all, the the lock is very well protected. It's become sort of a almost a sacred site, and so it's very tough to get actually down to the water itself oh. and dip a toe in, as it were. So, from a danger standpoint, it's it's, it's not very easy to do that. Uh, from a second standpoint, there, like I said, this is such a reverence for this beast that no one would dare, uh, you know, have a go at him, so to speak. Uh, and then, uh, if you're asking, what does he eat? Well, we we believe, you know, being uh, essentially marine life, that he feeds on various uh, fish and uh, other aquatic beasts. Uh, that he's uh, a pescatarian, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so no one, uh, no one is in danger. Okay. Uh, that that we've been able to ascertain over the years. There are no recordings of people, you know, half-eaten trunks of humans washed up on the shore. Sure, I mean, uh, we've not found that. So. so the locals don't live in fear of this creature. Oh no 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 no! This is essentially uh, 
but you know, like a like a, a college in the U.S. having a, a mascot on their campus, know. you know, a live animal. It's it's sort of that kind of thing. It's a, mm-hmm. a much pride is taken uh, in in Nestor. Wow. Nestor. Okay, it's a point of pride. I love I love that. I love that. I love a town having pride for this ancient animal, and you know, there I feel like there would be a lot of attempts to exploit. Uh, exploit him, but it, it appears just from listening to you that there really isn't. It's more of like a an appreciation and a preservation of um, of its existence. Well, that doesn't mean that there haven't been attempts over Ooh. the years oh, okay. uh, from folks to exploit uh, to exploit uh, Nestor. Uh, in fact, one of the most famous cases uh, took place in 1972. 1972, yeah. and uh, yes, and so. Uh, there was uh, an individual, I won't even deign to say his name, uh, to give him the publicity he would so enjoy. But he, he, what he did was he took bits of uh, old tires and he painted them sort of a brownish green. Mm-hmm. And, and he cut them into pieces, large pieces, and he scattered them along the shore of the lock. And then he ran to uh, the BBC screaming that Nessie, uh, Nessie at the time, of course, really mm-hmm. female, uh, sure. had been uh, destroyed in an, uh, by an outboard motor, of all things, uh, on, a, on a boat, on a fishing, uh, a fishing boat in the lake. Oh, like chopped up from the motor. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, the children, the children were devastated, obviously, mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, you know, because uh, as I said, he's he's a hero. He's a hero mm-hmm. to the people, and so. But this was quickly debunked uh, uh, upon investigation when uh, uh, f- folks noticed uh, treads in in the body, uh, supposed body parts. Um, sure. So, sure. so that, that was a that was a quick one. But there mm-hmm. was a there was a moment in time where, for a brief second, where people said, "Oh dear." Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. I bet that was a big scare. So. And uh, uh, I'd, I'd like to touch on something uh, that you mentioned that that uh, the Loch Ness monster or Nestor, as we now know, is a, is a, a hero. Um, I'd like to touch on that a little bit further, but uh, maybe we should take a, a quick break. Yeah, sounds good. Well, well, game if you are. Yes. We're back on Real True Facts this week, discussing the Loch Ness Monster uh, and uh, continuing our streak of uh, revelations here on Real True Facts. Um, it turns out it's uh, it's not necessarily Nessie, but um, Nestor, because it is, in fact, a male. Um, one thing that really piqued my interest, um, Professor McShane, is uh, you mentioned the the heroic nature of uh, the Loch Ness monster. Um, and you had this, the, the great story of, you know, back in the seventies, someone trying to take advantage of, uh, you know, get some publicity. Um, I was wondering what kind of, uh, you know, maybe examples or stories there were of the Loch Ness monster and um, performing either heroic, I don't, you know, heroic service. I don't know that he necessarily comes out of the water and, you know, saves the baby from a burning building, but I don't know, you know, that's why you're here. So why, you know, I guess the, the big question is why uh, and how do we consider this uh, monster a hero? Well, I think the thing that you have to understand is not that he's done any heroic deed, so to speak, 
but that it's more of a civic pride sort of thing. Uh, he's not rescued anyone, but he's, um, he's, uh, you know, he's held up as a symbol of some, someone, uh, that they take great pride in knowing that he's been in the community for so long, like an, like an elder statesman. Right. Perhaps in the same way that the West Virginians revere Mothman. This is the same way that, um, Scotland reveres, uh, Loch Ness. Oh yes. That's a, that's a a great uh, connection there. Yeah. And, and to be honest, it would be pretty easy for an animal of this size to take advantage and wreak havoc over uh, its local area and even much further and farther than that. So, you know, maybe there is uh, there's some uh, heroism in the restraint and the lack of action, you know, uh, because mm. it could easily just uh, tear apart uh, the entire city and, um, you know... Uh, well, that, that, that is one great mystery that we don't have the answer to. And that is, why does he just never leave the lake? Why doesn't he, uh, you know, take a walk about and, and just, you know, destroy everything in his path? We don't know the answer to that yet, I'm afraid. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question that we want to dig into in the years to come. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Interesting. So, uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, we always have more to learn when it comes to, to animals and science. And we just assume that they're so much different than humans, even mm-hmm. though it sounds like we have a lot in common that, you know, maybe Nestor just wants to live a peaceful life. And we, and our question is, well, why don't you come out and, you know, terrorize the locals? It's just not in his nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What he has might be enough in the same way when we were talking about, um, about Bigfoot with uh, Ranger Steve, um, these, the Bigfoot are solitary creatures and they love what they have and they don't really need much else. It could be the same with Nestor as well. Um, and there could be a touch of, of not being able to leave the lake. Uh, it could be a survival thing in the, in the same way that, you know, frogs, some of them can leave for a little bit, but they have to come back because their skin relies on moisture, um, you know, I, I'm just guessing maybe. Well, I, I like to believe personally that he's uh, over the years taken on some of the traits of the Scottish people themselves and uh, simply just he loves his space in the world and you couldn't move him out of there uh, with a barge pole, as we say, uh, in, in, uh, around uh, the campus. And, um, and, you know, he's just happy where he's at. And that's OK. That's enough for Nestor. And uh, that's that's kind of what I like to believe uh, from a personal standpoint, from a scientific standpoint. We will we're going to we're going to have to get in there poking a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, really scratch the surface on this. Sure, sure. I think maybe from an emotional standpoint, it's like, OK, it, it's enough. Isn't that what we mm. all want is just to be enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I want to ask you, Professor Ian, what made you want to focus on the Loch Ness Monster? Well, it's, it's not the sexiest of stories, but uh, we, we were on a, a family holiday uh, when I was a child, and uh, we were going uh, up, up uh, uh, to Edinburgh. Uh, my father was a, a tremendous golfer, and he was uh, playing the, the courses one weekend uh, in Edinburgh, and we went through Loch Ness, uh, and, he, and my father had a tea time. 
and so we didn't have uh, time to stop off to visit the lock. Uh, in fact, I remember saying, can we stop to visit the lock? And my father said, uh, uh, no, we don't have time. So I, uh, uh, I always sort of kept that with me uh, for, all, for a number of years. And so it just stuck with me. It sort of drove me in a weird way. And um, yeah, so that, that's, that's sort of how I got into it. I, I, once I started digging, I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. So it's almost as if you're making up for that lost time, you know, uh, you never got that chance originally. And now you're just, you know, making up for that oh, time. And yes, I, free, I freely admit that. Yes. Yes. It's like I said, it's not the sexiest of stories, but, uh, but that, that's what did it for me. And then, like I said, once you started digging into, uh, learning more about it and, uh, then it's, you know, how do you stop? You, you, you can't. That what? sounds like very meaningful work. Yeah, look who I'm talking to. You guys are, are doing the same thing. You're you're scratching the surfaces of uh, of these different uh, the Mothman, uh, Bigfoot, so on and so forth. And and it, it you you have a passion for it, so you understand, I'm sure, where I'm coming from. We do, we do. We may not have the uh, education or official title. Oh, but definitely the, not. Oh yeah, I mean, but the enthusiasm is there, and um, like I hope all scientists we have the uh, quest for the truth. We, we don't want to stop our jobs until we know that the truth is completely out there. Well, anytime the two of you want to join me at Oxford, uh, which I'm legally required to follow with the words community college, long mm-hmm. story, uh, but anytime you two want to join me and uh, take a class or uh, uh, work on some research with me, you have an open invitation. Oh, that's wow, wonderful. Cool. Very that, cool. That yeah, that actually uh, kind of informs me of my next question. So if, if we were going to go out, if, if an amateur uh, science communicator or a sleuth or, or Loch Ness Appreciation Society was going to go out and try and make contact with the uh, monster, what would be the appropriate steps to do that? Well, first you'll have to get a permit to get down to the water's edge. To, to get close enough to the lake. That, that's first and foremost. Uh, second, what we've seen so far is that uh, sonar equipment has actually worked the best um, in terms of communicating with Nestor. Um, and then uh, an open mind and patience because as you know, as I say to everyone, you, want, you may want to talk to Nestor in your time, but Nestor will talk to you in his time. And so I think that's, uh, that's important. So, uh, uh, that's as important as, as anything is patience, uh, and the permit that is also very important. So that was actually going to, uh, my next question was kind of why, why don't we ever uh, see it or why aren't there a lot of good photos, but, uh, just the communication aspect almost answered that question and that, you know, just because you go there and you want a photo doesn't mean you're going to get one. Uh, just because you want to take a photo doesn't mean Nestor wants to be seen. So I, I, um, I think that makes a lot of sense as to why we don't necessarily have a lot of photos. But mm-hmm. you touched on communication, and that's, I find that extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, what kind of communications have you had to or from Nestor? So what we've done so far is we've tried bouncing uh, sonar waves underwater uh, off of different uh, points in the lock. Mm. And uh, what we've found 
of course, we, we've heard different uh, things like natural uh, uh, sort of uh, fishy sounds. But occasionally we will get uh, these sounds that I can only describe to you as like a, a cross between uh, a whale call and um, sort of um, like a, a dolphin, mm-hmm. like a high-pitched squeak of a dolphin. It's, it's very hard to, to describe, but that's the best that I can do. And so we've gotten some very uh, sharp, sharp uh, bursts of this sound. And, um, and we believe that this is Nestor. We've never been able to duplicate these sounds uh, in any other body of water uh, with any other uh, aquatic uh, sea life. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I hope I'm answering your question. I feel like no, it's, it's a very, from what I understand, it's a very specialized kind of sonar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hmm. Specifically so, designed in mind with trying to communicate with Nestor. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're still in the, the early stages of this, um, you know, using, uh, our technology and then we can't, haven't quite nailed down. Um, or I should say, haven't quite translated anything yet. We're still trying to nail down the, the actual signal. That's right. We were pretty, pretty pleased with the fact that we got the sounds in the first place. Now it's still going to require some time and effort to figure out, uh, what he's saying, if mm-hmm. anything at all, you know, are these, are these, uh, actual, his language, uh, is this, um, you know, are these, pain cries of pain is this cries of happiness uh you know we don't know that yet right but i I, i'd love to come back and talk to you in the future about it yeah i mean continue your work any breakthroughs we're obviously very open to uh having them debuted on this show um have you been able to replicate any of these sounds um no, no, not with uh no, not with other uh, like I said not with other bodies of water or uh or animals or or undersea life or anything like that. I mean, I couldn't even do it justice if I tried to, you know, to to do it for you now. Oh, that's mm-hmm. fine. You don't need to. Yeah, you don't um, have to do that. But have you considered or tried um using other animals like you said it maybe sounded like a dolphin you know maybe using mm. recordings of dolphins or even taking a dolphin and you know throwing it in the water i mean i, I guess <laughs> we, we don't really know what the dolphin is saying but i wonder if they could communicate in some way well they could uh, possibly we we uh, you've got me you've got me flat-footed there we have not tried throwing a dolphin in the lock <laughs> Uh, they, <laughs> I guess when you say it like that, it's a little ridiculous. Yeah, when you say it like that, it is the, they're not they're not easy to come by. Uh, right. uh, but uh, well, I'm, quite, I'm quite embarrassed. Uh, uh, I, I don't well, I don't know what kind of water is in the lock. It could be fresh water. It could be salt water. I, I don't know. You don't uh, want to throw yeah. something in that's not used to fresh I'm, water. That's I'm gonna game. I'm gonna write that down though. <laughs> Uh, I know that uh, when the Inverness Courier reported about it in the 30s, uh, they did describe it as a beast or a whale-like fish. So, you know, operating off of that, you know, it it, it would stand to reason that the communication you're receiving is is a very much whale-like sonar. So, you know, you understand those patterns. Uh, If you could guess, because you spend all your life researching, if you could guess what uh, Nestor is trying to say, what do you think that would be? I think he's saying, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. 
I'm okay. And maybe he's saying you're okay too. Yeah. You know, uh, I'd like to think he, after all these years, sort of recognizes us. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to think he sees us from below the water surface. That's what I'd like to, to think he's saying. Well, and from what you've told us, there hasn't been any instances of violence. So there really is no cause for alarm. And and we know because of the solstice celebrations that there is sort of this level of supernatural qualities or mystical qualities surrounding the lock. And so, um, you know, you might be able to pick up on a vibe or, you know, a spirit of the region or something that would be able to give you these messages. Hmm. Maybe. Uh, I'm always going to bring it back to ghosts or things like that. Yes. So, well, don't let me put words in your mouth, but that's... Well, it's, it's, that, fair, that's, it's, <laughs> it's very intriguing. I I, uh, I am a fan, amateur fan of uh, the paranormal myself. You know, I don't just, you know, uh, study Nestor all day. I, I branch out and, uh, yeah, that's, that's quite possible. I mean, we, we, we very much feel the influence of the Celts still mm-hmm. here. Uh, there are a few druids uh, in some of the more rural areas um, that we sort of just leave them to themselves. Uh, but, uh, you know, who knows what they get up to up there? Probably yeah. maybe meth. We think meth, but uh, anyway. Um, so, yes, there's definitely still some of the supernatural around there. What uh, correlation does it have with Nestor? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it might be worth a uh, – uh, worth a look to uh, to actually visit the lock on, on one of such such of these nights and and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, do you know what Nestor actually looks like? I don't. I don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, we we can only conjecture. I mean, of course, I said we're talking about a beast that's uh, half a mile long. We believe, yeah. and uh, so to to be able to see it, uh, or at least. Uh, you know, part of it is is all we've been able to do so far. Yeah. Well, but you do, you in my can. in my head, it uh, it looks like a brontosaurus. Yeah. Wow. So, I I think we've uh, you know established that uh, it is it has to be a, a bit of a peaceful creature, or else you know you probably wouldn't be here to talk about it. Um, you know, it, it being so large and. Uh, you know, having such control and possibly even, you know, mysticism or, or spiritual uh, abilities. Um, so I, I, I like that fact that, um, you know, it uh, it seems like a peaceful and happy being, um, you know. Oh, I, I, I fully believe that we are at his mercy. Mm-hmm. And uh, every day, you know, is in the back of your mind, is uh, especially when you're on site, it's just, you know, don't piss him off. Yeah. Yeah, what what would you what do you want uh, amateur scientists, investigators, groups? What do you want them to know if they're going to come into the area? Obviously, we've established the fact that you need a permit, uh, but uh, just based on all that stuff, all the things that you've told us, what's something that you wish you knew starting all of this that you can impart to the new generation? Well, if I can be frank, uh, this is such a niche field. Uh, that, uh, you know, uh, if you're thinking about getting into it, uh, don't stick your nose in my business because I'll, I'll knock it off. You know, this mm. is, you're messing with my bread and butter. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to pursue something else, um, then I say you just need an open mind. 
you need to uh, be open to any and all possibilities, especially in a field like this, where we are studying creatures about which there is so much mythology and so, uh, so much uh, lore to use a word uh, around around them. So it's important that you keep an open mind to separate fact from fiction and then, you know, how to uh, apply scientific principles to studying this. However emotional we may get at the end of the day, however attached we may be, we need to always bring uh, a scientific approach to this. And, uh, you know, like I said, keep an open mind. No preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one thing we really, it seems to be a common theme every time, um, you know, we encounter something new and we say, what advice would you have? Uh, You know, keep an open mind is really, uh, it's recurring, but I think it's important to mention every time because we think, you know, what we see or what we hear may be the truth. But uh, as we found out time and time again, that may not necessarily be the case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We come in with our ideas of what we think it might be. And then after we speak with our experts, we just come out of it changed. You know, our, our, we have paradigm shifts all the time. We've got epiphanies. Uh, I think back to the last episode about lizard people, what I learned about them, I had no clue. And so it's always so enlightening. Uh, and and important to keep an open mind. So it's it, it's not funny, haha. But it it is funny that uh, all of our experts keep just reiterating, just you know, keep an open mind. Mm. That's right. so true. So, yes. And on that note, why don't we take one final break, and then uh, we'll we'll finish up here with uh, Professor Ian McShane and uh, Jessica. Do we have any uh, mail to uh, to divulge this week? Yes, we do. We've got a few questions, so we'll answer some of our listener mail when we come right back. So we've been talking today with Professor Ian McShane from Oxford Community College. She's the world's foremost expert on the Loch Ness Monster and professor of uh, United Kingdom mythology. Um I just want to say thank you, Professor Ian, for coming on the show today. Uh, we've learned so much from you and also that we should not get in the way of your research, it sounds like, uh, which we don't intend to, but uh, let that be a, a warning to any of you uh, young hotshots coming in. You know, you, you've got the market cornered. So. I, mean, I, hate, I, I hate to be that guy, but, you know, uh, I had to say it. So uh, anyway, don't don't hold it against me. No, you're passionate about what you do. And we certainly appreciate that. And we've learned so much. I mean, you know, knowing what we know now about biology and the sex of the monster. uh, And I I say monster lovingly because uh, I guess to this day, we still have not seen um, a full image Hmm. of of Nestor, but we know the approximate size and maybe what he wants, you know, wants to be left alone, but in a peaceful way, you know, it's very um, important to the the community and to the people of Scotland. So we thank you for coming on. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, no, just that um, I, I think you guys are doing a fantastic job. Keep on doing what you're doing. And I, I'm so pleased to have been invited to your show to talk about to talk about a topic that, uh, frankly, we, we don't, you know, get a chance to talk about very much, uh, um, uh, outside the classroom. So this, this was a lot of fun for me. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. Thanks for coming. 
So, Jessica, you mentioned uh, yes. you had some mail to uh, that we wanted to, to get to this week. What do we have cooking? Oh, we've got a few emails today. Um, we have one from Harrison from Harrisburg. Uh, he writes... Uh, the episode with Dr. Lauren Jay made me think about Egyptian pyramids again. Uh, last week, we had Dr. Lauren Jay back on to talk about lizard people. Oh, okay. um, they uh, made me think about Egyptian pyramids again. Uh, what connections, if any, are there to the pyramids in Central and South America? More aliens, humans learning from aliens. Thanks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's a, a, a whole another part of the world as far as I know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that could be a, a, a show in itself. Uh, I mean, I, the short answer is yes, aliens yes. were involved yes. in those, of course. But um, they're, they're, that does delve a little bit deeper. So that's, yeah. uh, we'll have to put that one on the, on the big board for possible. Yeah, yeah we will. Um, I mean, I can't really answer this, but I have been to a pyramid in Central America. And um, I can say that they are similar shapes, but I believe the ones that I visited served a different function beyond uh, burial or, um, you know, uh, uh, being atop catacombs or anything like that. I believe it, oh, okay. it was more of like a um, maybe sacrificial kind of thing. I, I'm not sure. It, it may have been from a you know different civilization. But, uh, you know, we are very confident in saying that the aliens did have a lot to do with it, perhaps humans learning from aliens. So, you know, we, we are continuing our study and talk about aliens and aliens among us. So that might be something that we'll have to get into in the future about yeah, uh, more alien architecture. Yeah, that's uh, ripe for follow-up, yeah. It is, yeah. So, yeah, that's. Uh, he says parallels. That's the subject of the email. Uh, certainly, there are certainly parallels there. Yeah, thank you um, for that email, uh, Harrison. I think it was. Yes. Uh, what's our yeah, email address for uh, all the other folks out there? Our email is realtruefactsmail at gmail dot com. Okay. You can send us questions there, comments. We'll read them on the show. We will answer them to the best of our ability. Uh, if we like it. And we don't know the answer. We might do an episode of it. So, yeah, you might be able to get featured that way. Yeah, um, just, uh, we, please be patient. We can't get to all of them. Uh, yeah, you know, we yeah. have to vet them thoroughly. And so that's why you only hear one or two a week or yeah. three and yeah. sometimes none because we really right. do have to take the time to vet them. We, uh, we have a lot of emails today, but uh, we'll read like two more and then save, save some more for later. Uh, we've got one that's um, – oh, it's from a kid. A kid, uh, so, like a, yeah, a child? Yeah, uh, a child. This is Christopher, okay. age three, uh, which is so cool because we did mention earlier in the show that the truth really knows no age. And sure. so it's cool that uh, kids are listening and maybe they're having conversations with their parents um, about what uh, is really going on out there. Uh, so Christopher, age three, we don't know where he's from, but that's okay. Uh, Christopher asks, what are the lines in the sky from? Airplanes, rocket ships, asteroids, question mark. I imagine his uh, his adult, his mom or dad uh, transcribed this for him. But uh, he wants to know what the lines in the sky are from. Right. Uh, um, yeah, that's moisture in the sky. Um, and uh, that uh, becomes apparent when, yeah, something like an airplane or really any other object in the atmosphere kind of uh, heats up or cuts through that moisture. So, yeah, an airplane, a UFO, uh, any other object. Uh, so, it, you know, it's kind of like, you, you know, oh, well, uh, uh, what are those ripples in the water from? 
Well, yeah. you know, anything that rippled the water. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, you know, when they, you know, burn fuel, there's exhaust from that. Um, there's moisture in the air. And you can see that when, uh, you know, the light refracts off of moisture. You know, that's, that's when you get a rainbow. So those are lines in the sky as well. So, you know, not everything is crazy aliens. Sometimes it's just really simple science. And uh, fortunately, we're able to answer those questions for you. But thanks uh, for leaking out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got one more. Okay. This is from Drew S., uh, Drew wants to know, uh, do the Simpsons really predict the future? They have episodes about the pandemic, the Trump presidency, 9-11, the Hicks-Bosson equation, censorship of the David, autocorrect, smartwatches, Ebola, Disney yeah. buying 20th Century Fox, Game of Thrones, etc. That's a lot of stuff. Uh, all these things happened in the show. Is this true? Yeah, and I mean... Um... Uh, yes, they do predict the future. And uh, how is that possible? Well, you know, when they mentioned the, the, the Trump presidency, it, it was mentioned offhand as a joke. And uh, there wasn't an actual episode about it. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, when yeah, some you, of these things are just jokes, they're not, yeah, they're not. And that's what it all comes down to is when you pack as many jokes into an episode as The Simpsons, you're going to hit on some of them. Uh, some yeah. of them are going to come true. You know, if you say just like Nostradamus, he wrote a book, of, you know, mm -hmm. hundreds or thousands of prophecies, you're going to get you got to get a couple of them. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, they did. And I, I, you know, but I would be up for exploring um, the, the prophesizing power of The Simpsons, because I, I know there are some really smart folks involved. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was even more to it, some mystical qualities. But I um, I know the factual bit, but I. Um, you know, I'd have to delve deeper myself. What about sure. you, I, Jessica? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I'm very interested in, in prophecies and predictions. You know, we are friends of psychic abilities on this show, but um, you know, I, I think back to the segment we did called "Real True Fiction." It's like mm. sometimes Hollywood does get it right. Exactly. And um, so, where are they getting their information from? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they do get it right. So are they guessing or do they have some kind of, of dial in to um, a higher power? Yeah, they could very well be tapped into some greater knowledge that we're not aware of. Um, yeah. I think prophecies, that's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool nut that we may uh, look to crack uh, oh, in, the, in the upcoming future. Yeah, you know I, I, mean. ooh, hey, I what you did there. <laughs> Prophecy, future. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was it was funny to me. Every once but in a yes, while, uh, I do make. Every once in a while, yeah, it's it's a it's a layered a layered thing. But um, yeah, we can get into that. Uh, maybe next week can be another mystery episode. Uh, Loch Ness was a mystery episode for us. You know, we don't always want to give away what we're gonna do, but uh, maybe next week, tune in and and you'll see what we talk about. Sure. So that's it today for our mailbag. We can close that up. And uh, hopefully Dr. Seymour can join us next week. I know he was on assignment today. He's been busy uh, cloning bees. And uh, so we, we wish him all the luck with that. Uh, he'll he'll return in the near future. But uh, wonderful show today. Uh, 
I love everything that we learned about Loch Ness and there's a lot of new things that we know, but then there's still some things that we don't know. And I, th- I think that's important to acknowledge that and it's okay to not have the definite all the answers. answers all the yep. time. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes we think, you know, that's what we're, we're all about. Real true facts. We're going to get to the bottom of everything, but it, it's, in, it's impossible. And if you only accept, um, you know, some kind of answer to your question, it may not necessarily be the right one. So that's why we're, you know, you make a good point to say that, uh, yeah, uncertainty is as certain as anything else. And if we knew the answer to everything, we wouldn't have science. And science is really at the root of what we're doing. So uh, by by admitting that we don't know, we are supporting science. We are supporting the uh, continued search for the truth. So uh, that is also important to acknowledge as well. Uh, and with that, I think uh, that is it for today. Uh, I want to thank our guest, um, Professor Ian McShane, for joining us this week. And thank you again to our listeners from all over the world that uh, tune in and support our show. Um, we mentioned earlier our email address, realtruefactsmail at gmail.com. You're always welcome to email us there. We also have our Instagram at realtruefactsgram where you can get uh, more info behind the show and our guests. And we're on some other things too, right? Yes, I love uh, I love the learning. And uh, we are on uh, the YouTubes. And uh, be sure to, you know, uh, listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, uh, and Podbean. Uh, the biggest platforms were there to listen. Uh, were there for you to listen. So leave us a review and some feedback because we're always open to suggestions and we want to hear from you. Yeah, we do. And tell your friends. That helps us do our job better. Uh, more people listen, more people can get the truth. So uh, please follow us, like us, do all that good stuff that we want you to do. Um, and uh, I think that'll be it. So we'll see you next week. We will have a, another wonderful topic for you to wrap your brains around and uh, we'll learn more about our world. And to your viewers, like we always say, keep questioning your world because just because you hear about it or read it doesn't mean it's true. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on Real Truth Facts.